0: Isn't it great to know that our God is the one who's in charge of all things, and no matter what happens in our personal lives, as well as the life of our church, that the God that we worship, Jesus Christ, is Savior and Lord, and uh, He's still in charge, and He hasn't relinquished that, He hasn't delegated that, and uh, we have Him to have a hope in. As we study God's Word, I have an outline that you're going to find helpful, because I'm going to read a couple things from it here in just a moment. But we're in a series called uh, Better Together. It's from the book of Ephesians. And oh, by the way, I'm, I'm Dave Mitchell. Sorry, I should have introduced myself to you. And uh, uh, I'm one of the pastors here as well. And uh, it's exciting to be able to serve together with you as we go through this Better Together theme of the book of Ephesians written to a group of uh, believers in somebody's home that was in the country today we call Turkey. And uh, it was Asia Minor in those days. And so it's just terrific to be able to read something that was read... Written 2,000 years ago by the Apostle Paul to Ephesus and that it still has relevance and we'll show you it's relevant for us today. As we read, as I'm going to read the text here in just a moment, I just have a question for you to ask and answer so we can find out how relevant this is. How many of you have slaves? Are, you have some slaves uh, they are back home taken care of? Children count. Oh, children? Do children count? Uh, yeah, I guess... I guess that could, uh, I guess that could count. I, I thought you were going to say Anthony here, so, uh, but, uh, okay, all right. Well, uh, I've got good news for you, masters. If you're a slave owner or if you're a slave, I've got good news to you because this is passage for you. If you don't own any slaves and you're not a master, then I don't know why we came today. So, but let me read, let me read the text for you. In fact, I'll throw it on the screen. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them. Give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. So this is an exciting thing. This is a great opportunity for us to learn something beyond just what the text says, but how the text speaks to us today. As you look at the screen, let me show you, there was the then in in every biblical passage that we have, It was written to a specific group of people that lived in a specific time zone. In this case, it was the first century church. If it's text of the Old Testament, it might have been written uh, 10,000 years ago, for all we know. And so there are passages of Scripture that seem more relevant to us when we read it. And there are some passages like today's passage that seems totally irrelevant to us. Because, thank God, we've gotten rid of the hot concept of slavery that our government and in our society used to have, although it is still very uh, much a growing, tragic situation in other lands, as uh, you might look around the world and see. But for us in Orange County, the issue then was slaves and masters. Today, then, what you need to do with Scripture is a passage like this, and here's my little turn of the phrase... Because there's other passages like 1 Timothy 2 that talks about women with braided hair. I've never preached against braided hair on women. Um, In fact, I don't even like to talk about hair for obvious reasons. (laughs) But um, there are temporary practices that Scriptures speak to. 1 Timothy 2, braided hair. Ephesians chapter 6, slaves and masters. That was going on in the church of Ephesians. Temporary practices. The task of a student of the Bible is to take those temporary practices and find timeless principles that can guide us today. So you find the temporary practice of so many things in the Old Testament and the New Testament the laws, the statutes, and all the civil uh, codes that they have in the Old Testament. And you find, what's the, what's the timeless principle that still guides me today? Because all of Scripture is inspired by God and is to be used to equip me in every good deed. So there's nothing irrelevant in Scripture. It's just my task to find the relevance for us today. So then it was slaves and masters, temporary practice. Today, timeless principles, employees or those under authority, employers those over authority. But it's not just employees, employers. Some of you are retired, so you're thinking, well, I'm off the hook on this one. Not necessarily so. So it's thinking uh, various application points where this can occur. Where is this relevant? What are the timeless principles? Where is it relevant today? For example, uh, not too long ago, as some of you know, I turned 65. And by turning... (laughs) By turning 65, the DMV wrote me a letter and said, we think you're really old, and so you need to come in and renew your license. So I had to go to the DMV and renew my license, because they know that everybody 65 and up shouldn't be driving on the road. And so I had to go in and prove to them that I can still see out of both eyes, and I can still walk, I have coordination between eye and hand, and I had to go and have my picture updated. <laughs> And boy, when you get your license back, you say, wow, no wonder I had to go in. Because there's a lot of changes from the last DMV picture and today's DMV picture. But as I went there, you know, I thought, oh, I dread the DMV. I walked in, and there was this mile-long line that's in the DMV. I said, oh, government, government control, and what a, what a dreary place to be. So I had this kind of a cynical negative attitude. So as I walked in, I had an appointment, and and, you know, you wait for your little number to come up. And then you, by the time I got back to where my number had been placed in this counter number 12 or whatever it was, somebody else had already come and stood before me. And, like, hey, you know, so I had to go to the guy next to him. So, you know, I was supposed to be there. Said, oh, well, let me check. And so he went out of his way to find a new number and a new place for me to go. And finally, by the time I got to where the picture had to be taken, I showed my driver's license to this guy who's taking the picture, works for the DMV. And I had all this negativity in my mind, negativity about the DMV. And this guy could not have been friendlier. He says, oh, you ride a motorcycle because you have a little thing on your, motor- on your license that says motorcycle. And he says, oh, I ride a motorcycle. Let me tell you about my club. And we just had this nice little chat as people were lining up behind us. <laughs> and, uh, and it made me realize that DMV workers are real people too. And I mean that with all due respect if you work for the DMV. And I know that at least one of you I know about does. Um, and it made, me, made this passage come to my mind that there are lots of people that I either serve or are serving me. And whether it's going to the DMV and being a Christian in attitude and deed to a DMV worker, this passage is relevant. If it's going to Albertsons or Stater brothers and you're in the 10 or less line and and there's a cashier there helping you, it means you're going to come across with an attitude that's different than just about anybody else that may go through that line. It means that if you're one who is fortunate enough to have someone that you pay to mow your lawn, it means that every time that person comes and mows your lawn, it means something from this passage as to how you relate to that person that mows your lawn. It means if you're someone that I see riding my bike, and every Thursday morning I drive by this home, and there is this mobile um, car cleaning detailing business, and if you happen to be fortunate enough to have someone who comes in this big gray van and, and cleans your cars once a week, it means this is a way you relate to that person. If you have someone who picks up your garbage and he drives that big old truck that rattles down the street and he happens to be in front of your house the same time you're out there just about ready to pull your trash cans back unless you pay someone to do that for you, which I can't imagine, it means you relate to that person in a special way. If you have someone who cleans your home, and once a week, once a month, they come in and they clean your home, this passage has timeless principles as to how you will relate to that person, how you will treat that person, how your attitude of Christ-likeness will be relevant to them. If you have somebody in the hospital and you go visit and there's a nurse There's the nurses uh, and there's other people that clean the beds and take the sheets. It has relevance to how you're going to treat that person and how you're going to relate to them in a Christian, Christ-like way. So I wanted to see, and we could go on and on. If you're going over here to Claim Jumper after church and you've got a waitress or a waiter or whatever the term should be today, it means how you relate to that person will be significantly different than a non-Christian who could care less about that person. It means a relationship that is unique because you believe in Jesus, and Jesus changes hearts and lives. So these are, I want you to see, these are timeless Principles that should be relevant in a lot of, and I could, you could go on and on. I bet you could throw out a whole other uh, dozen or so scenarios where that is true. And so Paul is writing to the Ephesians to a very temporary practice. I put on the back side of the outline. William Barclay is one of those commentators that does a terrific job of bringing historical context to passages like this. Notice what the slave trade was like, as William Barclay gives us a his historical. Perspective. Let me read the little italics at the very top of the outline. One Roman writer divided agricultural instruments into three classes. The articulate, who were slaves. The inarticulate, which were animals. And the mute, which were tools and vehicles. A slave's only distinction above animals or tools was that he could speak. The Roman statesman Cato said... Old slaves should be thrown on a dump, and when a slave is ill, do not feed him anything. It is not worth your money. Take six slaves and throw them away because they are nothing but inefficient tools. Augustus crucified a slave who accidentally killed his pet quail, and a man named Polio threw a slave into a pond of deadly lamprey eels for breaking a crystal goblet. Juvenal wrote of a slave owner whose greatest pleasure was listening to the sweet song of his slaves being flogged. That's the context of Paul's writing to slaves and masters. This is this is unimaginable to us. Paul did not write to rebel He did not write to unionize, and I'm not saying anything necessarily wrong with any of those things. Paul simply said that when you become a follower of Jesus, your circumstances do not change necessarily. The government will suddenly not become different in your favor. But when you become a follower of Jesus, your heart changes. And how you relate in whatever circumstances you are in, your heart changes and then when your heart changes your behavior changes and you become different and you're living in a counter kingdom you're living against the grain gravity's pulling you one way in a terms of sin but god says by the power of the spirit i want to pull you in a whole new way so he wants to teach them so here are the two sections today there are the things of employees or anybody who's under authority If you're under the authority of someone else, and we're all under the authority of government, we're all under authority of, uh, if you're in a HOA, (laughs) there's somebody watching how you paint your house and how many cars you have parked around your house. I mean, there are the regulations and the rules. And then there are for the employers, those who are in authority over another person. And again, you have a house cleaner. You, you drive over here and you have a, your car cleaned and these guys are out there with all these rags wiping down and drying your car. You have an obligation to be Christ-like to them. And it's different than if you're not a Christ-like person. So these are the relevant areas that we need to understand. So what does Paul say to us? He says, your duty is to be obedient as long as you're under that person's authority. So I have an obligation of obedience to these people. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to flesh. And You just read, you just heard what Barclay says about the way the slaves were treated in those days, which is unthinkable. Notice some of the other areas, areas where under authority. You know these things. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So there's obedience to those who are in the church. Every person is in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. If I oppose the authority that God has established, I will receive condemnation. That's pretty heavy duty. If you want to disobey a police officer you'll know what that passage means. Try disobeying a police officer. Try to refuse every command he or she makes. You will find out what it's like to receive condemnation upon yourselves. And so there are structures, there are authorities that have been designed by God. And it's tough. If you go to the city like we've done and you uh, you want to create a bathroom like we wanted to create in a house and you have code enforcement people that tell you where you can put that wall, And where you cannot have a door, (laughs) or in our case, where you have to wall up that door, it's hard to be obedient because you think this is insanity. But there are certain regulations and there are certain ways. But then what Paul says in Acts, or Luke, I should say, says in Acts 5 is this. There are limitations. And there will come a day where some of us may have to do what Paul or Peter did in this case. When they, the authorities, had brought them, they stood before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, the name of Jesus. Don't preach Jesus, they were saying in those days. And yet you have filled Jerusalem. You have filled Jerusalem. Imagine, Peter has filled Jerusalem with the name of Jesus, even though the commanding authorities of the government says, don't mention his name. So you have filled the city of Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. In other words, Peter, you're blaming the Jewish leaders for the crucifixion of Jesus. We resent that. It's true, but we resent that. And then Peter and his apostles answered, We must obey God. And they did not submit. Thrown into prison? Yeah. Received the condemnation of governing authorities? Yes. Yes. But there will come a day when we will have to be challenged, and I'm going to talk more about it next Sunday. But one of the things, uh, because I serve on, on the board at Biola, is a new bill that is being established in the legislature called 1146. If you haven't read about it, I'll give you more information next Sunday. But that bill is being designed and being formulated, and uh, really it's, uh, it's evolving. But at one point, it has been established that Biola cannot limit the number of students that are coming to only Christians, that Biola cannot enforce students to go to chapel services, that Biola cannot have professors who pray in their classrooms. It it is so restrictive in terms of our religious freedom that it's just astounding you thought we were living in the Soviet Union. But one Senator in Sacramento is pushing SB 1146. And so as we on the board, and I get emails from Barry Corey, and this last week we've had a number of them come and go, the board is going to have to make some very significant decisions about the authorities, the new regulations, and what does Biola do, and what will be the cost to Biola should we say we will not submit because it counters the biblical understanding and the foundation of a 100-year-old institution. So these are challenges. These are realities that we're going to have to deal with. And they are infringing upon us. And and so when you talk about this, I want it to be real in the sense that there will come a day when we may have to sort of say with Peter, you know, we're going to obey God on this one. Because to obey you is to compromise biblical truth. And we won't do that obey you is to compromise moral behavior and we won't do that. So there is a sort of a subtext that would be uh, important for us to understand that when Paul says slaves obey your masters there is a reality that in the broader definition of those in authority the timeless principles beyond slave masters there comes a point where as believers We say, you know, we're different. And that compromises our faith. So these are challenges that we will face. But as we come back to probably the most of us in our world in which we live, our attitude is to serve others as if we're serving Christ. When we serve, we serve well, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart is to Christ, not by way of eye service as men please us, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men. And again, it is astounding to me that Paul is writing this to slaves that are treated as worse than animals. But he says, slaves, you're now a believer in Jesus. Masters, you're now a believer in Jesus. It's going to transform the kind of relationship you have with each other. And I want it to be real. And I want it to reveal Christ. So when Christ gets a hold of my heart, I look at the circumstances very differently than I did before Christ got a hold of my heart. So my attitude then is this. It is to respect and have a sincere heart for Christ in how I live that out. With fear and trembling and the sincerity of your heart is to Christ. That this situation, my boss, my work situation, my relationships in this community, in this HOA, whatever it may be for you, that I there have a res- there have a responsibility and a fear and a trembling and an attitude of sincerity. That it's not... The HOA, it's not the boss, it's not the community uh, uh, governing authorities, but it's Christ. I'm here for him. I am his servant. And I may not like the decisions, but I'm here in the name of Jesus Christ to live this out. The attitude is to please Christ and serving others whether people will see you or not. Not by way of eye service as men please us, but as slaves of Christ. I don't do well in my job that I hate only when the boss sees me. But I do well in my job that I may hate whether the boss sees me ever. Because as a Christian, I'm different. And we need to help. You know, this came... And I don't know this person, whether they're a believer in Jesus, but just as an illustration of this. uh, A week and a half ago, I was out in our front yard pulling out the weeds and I saw our mail lady come in that big white mail truck you see and she's delivering mail and she goes down our street and it goes to a cul-de-sac here and it's coming back this way but when she goes to the end of the cul-de-sac I see her get out of the mail truck and there's a dog and I recognize the dog because the dog sometimes wanders to our yard and does his thing and so I knew where the dog belongs, but I watched her, and I thought, oh boy, here comes one of those things. Because you you, we've had family members who get the notices from the Postal Service, if you don't tie up your dog, we will not deliver your mail. Uh, we've had family members who have gotten those letters. And I thought, that's what's going to happen. But she gets out of the mail truck, and she takes the dog, says, come on, come on, and she walks five houses down to where she knows that dog lives, because she looked at the little tag and the addresses on it. And so she delivers the mail to the homes and then delivers the dog to the dog owner's home. And I was impressed by that. I said, wow, that's service. She didn't know I was watching her. So yesterday I get home after the Ron Snow memorial service yesterday. So I pull in. I don't remember what time it was, three or four, somewhere like that. And I see her coming down the street. And so I waited in the driveway, and she pulls up in front of our house. And I'm sitting there with my tie and my coat and say, Hey, I want to thank you for something. And she's kind of like, Whoa, why what? She said, I want to thank you because I watched you take that dog five houses down and deliver it to its owners. So, Oh, it was nothing. I said, You should be the employee of the month of the postal service. Oh, no, I shouldn't do that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she said, "I I don't want them to even. I don't want any good news. I don't want bad news. I want to be invisible to my bosses. I just want. I I don't want anybody. I just want to do my job, you know." And three times I told her, "You did a fantastic thing, and I want to thank you for what you did." And her face just lit up. And when you and I have opportunities to express the grace of Christ. For those who live this truth, whether they know they're living biblical truth or not, you and I step up and we become those dispensers of God's grace and Christ's truth because she delivers my mail and I get mail that says, Reverend David Mitchell, Pastor David Mitchell. So she knows where I'm coming from and I have a responsibility To reflect Christ to those who serve me, and that includes the postal service, the people that deliver your mail, that in love and grace we care for them. Your attitude is to serve others with a positive mindset, whether that you are pursuing God's will, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, render service as to the Lord, not to men. That whatever my job is, whatever my position may be in whatever organization I am part of, that I am there and I'm part of God's will. This is the place God has me, I'm doing God's will, and I exercise my faith in a real way that reflects that... In my positive mindset that I have this goodwill, a good heart, I am here in your favor. If you're working at Home Depot, at Lowe's, at uh, Osh, at Ace Hardware, wherever you may be in some of these big organizations and companies, that you are there not to work for Home Depot or Lowe's, you are there to do God's will and to carry out a positive mindset that Christ has changed my life. And I'm here to represent him. And I shared with you in the email. I want to share it real quickly. In case you didn't read my email, and I, I'm very hurt that you didn't. But, um, but I sent out this email this last week, and I came across this article from Paul, Paul Borthwick. Paul has spoken here. He's a big missionary guy, and he's spoken at our missions conference here at Calvary Church. And he ran across this fellow by the name of Peter because he recognized him from a youth group. Peter is a graduate of Harvard University, and he tried to get a job, and for four months he couldn't find work. So Peter, a Harvard grad, starts working at McDonald's. And so uh, Paul walks into that McDonald's, and he sees Peter behind the counter selling Big Macs. And he's kind of blown away by that. He says, oh, Peter, do you have a moment when you get a break? He says, yeah, so Peter took a break, and he, they sat down, Peter, I'm, I'm so sorry that you ended up working at McDonald's. And Peter says, you, you don't have to be sorry for me. That's fine. This is, what, this is what Peter told Paul. As Paul asked him, what are you doing here? He says, well, I graduated in May, but I went four months without finding a job, so I said to myself, I need some income. This is where I've ended up, McDonald's, using my Harvard degree. Paul says, well, I'm so sorry to hear that. But Peter cut him off, and Peter said this, no. Don't be sorry. God has me here. This place has given me an awesome opportunity to share my faith. I'm on a shift that includes a Buddhist guy from Sri Lanka, a Muslim guy from Lebanon, a Hindu lady from India, and a fellow Christian from El Salvador. It's awesome. I get to be a global missionary to my coworkers while asking, Would you like fries with that? What do you you not like about a guy like Peter? This is a guy that says, You know, Lord, I'm not sure this is the best job for a Harvard graduate, but this is the mission field you have given to me. This is the place that I have ended up in. I am here, and what I love about it doing the will of God from the heart with goodwill, render service. Peter is a living illustration of Paul's biblical truth in a timeless principle. He's not a slave. McDonald's is not a master, but he gets the concept that whatever I am doing, wherever I am doing it, in whatever context, job, community, or organization I am in, that that's where God has me. And I'm here to render goodwill doing God's will because I am a servant of Jesus Christ. Jesus changes hearts even if he doesn't give a Harvard grad the best job that he'd love to have. Even if he's making minimum wage, he says, I'm still doing God's will. And he gets to say, would you like to have fries with that? I love that attitude because it reflects what Paul is talking about. And wherever you live and whatever your situation may be, that Christ be shaping and forming your attitude and your heart. Because then he says this, Your perspective, it's it's eternal. It's not timeless. It's not this temporary time, I should say, in terms of whether working for McDonald's or the DMV or the postal service. He says, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. That sometimes we feel like, God, I, I did all of this, but where's the fruit? Where's the return on the investment? God, where is the acknowledgement that I did this for you? It seems as though nobody cares about what I did. I love what Paul says. When Paul is in prison, he's about ready to die. Paul writes his last letter, 2 Timothy 4. It's his last words before he dies. And he's in prison. He served Jesus Christ all of his life. And he concludes his ministry in prison. He said, well, where's the gratitude in that? Paul writes this. Or I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. Paul is living what he wrote to the Ephesians. He says, I may be in prison, but I am here under the will of God. I'm going to fight the good fight. I'm going to finish the course. I'm going to keep the faith. There's a great old story often uh, we'll share this at a funeral, and some of you have heard this because it's an ancient story, but I'm going to share it anyways because I love it. There's a missionary couple that have been serving the Lord for 40 years in Africa, and they came home on a ship, and on that ship was Teddy Roosevelt. And Teddy Roosevelt's returning from Africa as well, having another big game hunt. And, and uh, he'd been there for like 15 days, and he killed some animals, and they were bringing them back. And, and as Teddy Roosevelt was coming off the big ship, there was all these crowds, oh, Teddy Roosevelt, yeah, 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 cheering him on. And here's this retired 40-year service missionary couple who got off the ship, and there was nobody waiting for them, nobody cheering for them, nobody thanking them for 40 years a faithful service of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people in Africa. And as they got into their cab, this husband and wife, this older husband and wife, the husband looked at his wife and says, man, Teddy Roosevelt goes over there for 15 days, kills some animals, and gets a cheering crowd to thank him when he got home. We serve for 40 years in Africa. We get home and there's nothing. And then as they drove home, This husband had kind of a divine revelation come to his heart where he felt God speak to him. And God said, but you're not home yet. And your reward is yet to be dispensed. Trust me. And that's Paul's attitude. The Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. If you feel like you're in an endless job, an endless situation, circumstances won't change. No matter what you do, it doesn't improve. Your calling, my calling, is to still be a sincere follower of Jesus. Whether anybody recognizes it, with anybody pats you on the back, where anybody gives you a bonus or not, that our attitude in Jesus is different. We don't resent. We don't get bitter. We don't get revenge. We don't do a lousy job because they don't take care of me like I think they should. We do the best job possible. Because in Jesus, I'm serving Him. He's the boss. He's always with me. I never can leave Him. He'll never leave me. He's always watching how well I I work for Him. And my attitude, my frame of mind, whether it's the woman that cleans the house, the guy that cleans the car, the lawn guy, the DMV person, the mail lady, whoever they are around us, and these are just simple scenarios or the person at Taco Bell or the Stater Brothers Cashier, that you and I, we're different. And Jesus makes us that way because we're here to represent them, Jesus Christ, the Father in heaven and the Holy Spirit. We represent them. And then he calls us to this: as an employer, my person, if I am an authority over another person, the masters do the same for them. They give up threatening, knowing that both are master and yours in heaven. There is no partiality with him. So my duty is to care for those under my authority. He says, do the same things. He says, masters, if you become a follower of Jesus, then your mindset should be just like what I said to the slave: that you're doing God's will, that Jesus is watching over you, that He's going to hold you accountable, that you. You have an obligation to see yourself as under the authority of the Father in heaven and that Christ is watching you. So I live out my authority over others as the representative of Jesus. That when they look at me, they should see, they should see Jesus. That's the way Jesus would have done it. So, so don't threaten. Authoritative and autocratic leaders who have to threaten. Spouses and children and workers are obviously failing because when there's respect, there's no need for threats. Secondly, you serve Christ who is your master knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven. I'm under his authority just as like they are. And then remain humble. Remain humble because you are not more important than they are. There's no partiality with God. God wants us to see that it applies across the board with our situation. I hope that when you and I are in the public eye, and I feel, this, I feel this a lot because there's lots of times I'm in the grocery store or I'm at Ace Hardware or I'm on Home Depot, and there are some of you who are watching me there. <laughs> I feel that all the time. And sometimes Joy is embarrassed because sometimes I'll look like a total slob when I go out there. And there's a sort of this obligation that is negative, but there's also this opportunity that is positive, that when we go out and people know I'm a believer, that we act like we're believers in Jesus, not just here at church, but out there. I heard the story of one person that when they go to the restaurant and they order their meal... And before they get ready to pray for their meal, and i I, would never thought about this, and so it was kind of a new insight this last week, that when they gather together at the the, uh, dinner table or the lunch table, whatever, uh, and the waiter or waitress is right there, they say this, we're getting ready to pray for our meal. Is there anything we could pray for for you? So, whoa, whoa. You know, people get a little, oh, my goodness, because that goes to a deeper level of the heart. I've done that in hospitals where you got the person here and the person there, and now they have more single rooms. But as I'm about to pray for this person, I say to the roommate who's there in the hospital bed, I'm going to pray for so-and-so. I'd love to pray for you as well. Would that be okay? And they're kind of blown away. Wow. That goes to a deeper level. That becomes more of a ministry, not just an obligation. But let me close with this. I was intrigued. I read the interview. This is this last week. Kenneth Bay was one of the longest North Korean prisoners ever of uh, this modern era, who was a follower of Jesus. He's a committed Christian, and he went to North Korea. And, uh, you know, he had some literature that North Koreans found, and they said, You're uh, a suspect of insurrection against the government. And so they imprisoned him to 15 years of hard labor. And he was in there, and a lot of people, like even Dennis Rodman, (laughs) Dennis Rodman wrote a letter to the chief commander of North Korea, whatever his name is, uh, and said, hey, would you let this guy go? So Dennis Rodman, wow. Anyways, I thought you'd be more interested in that. Um, (laughs) So he's in prison. And I want to show you some of the things that Kenneth Bay had said about that prison situation. In the morning, I'd get up at 6, wash, and get ready for a meal. Then I had one hour before being sent to work in the field, and every day I would put on the full armor of God by reading the Bible, worshiping, praying, and asking the Lord for strength and protection as he does hard labor, and here's his day. I worked in the bean field, plowing and planting the seeds. The soil was half rock. Monday through Saturday, I would work for eight hours a day with few breaks and an hour for lunch. And on Sunday, I could rest, but I was only allowed to sit and watch TV with just a few hours for reading and doing laundry. And then there was this campaign to get him set free. And he says, one of the things I had to remember, I'm not a prisoner in a prison cell. I am a missionary of Jesus Christ. He had to constantly replay that in his mind. That's what he is. That's who he is. And then he said this, one day a guard said, pastor, if I believe in God like you, What's in it for me? Another asked, if I want to believe in God, what do I have to pay the church? These are North Koreans that never hear about the Bible, never hear about Jesus. And I explained that there is no price, that God wants to hear and answer our prayers to protect us, to provide for us. They had never heard anything like that. And then he writes this. At the end of the conversation, someone said, you said God answered your prayers. But if God is real... Then how are you still here in prison? I explained that God has different plans. Maybe, I said, his plan includes you. How will you know anything about God unless I'm here? That's true, he said. I never heard anything like this before. Much of the time, I couldn't share the gospel directly. But I hoped the guards would see a glimpse of the gospel in me so that something would happen even without me saying the word. When I left, a guard shook my hand and we both said, I want to see you again. I was tearing up knowing that God had a plan for my time in North Korea. That is Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. That's the attitude. That we don't always like our circumstances. But we are servants of Jesus. And that whatever the circumstances, I am serving Jesus in this role. I'm in submission to Him. And if you're not part of that kind of community, I invite you into it. Because it can be transforming. And it doesn't mean that every day is easy. There are days that are hard for me. I have to work hard to have that attitude some days. When I don't like this or that. But I want to come back to this biblical foundation and let this be my timeless principle that helps me regroup And each day. Be there. Be wherever I am at. Knowing that it's Jesus I'm serving. Not that person. Not that situation. Not that disappointment. But it's Jesus. He's got me here. And I want to represent Him well. And I invite you into that kind of a life. Let me pray. Help us, Father, as we live out this world's life. Lord, not all of us in this room like the circumstances in which we live. And there may be some of us who, like Kenneth Bay, Lord, God, I could never do that. So I pray for those of us who struggle with that. I pray, Father, that you would touch the hearts of those who maybe have a spirit of bitterness bubbling up inside, but that Christ would touch them and heal that Heal that heart that in whatever their situation, they would see that, yes, Lord, you you can work through that. Whether it's Paul in prison, being able to share with his guards, or Kenneth Bay in a North Korean prison, sharing with his guards, or whatever may be our circumstance, that, Jesus, we're here for you. Help us to live that way. Help those that we work with to see Jesus in us. As Kenneth, he just lived the gospel. Help us to live the gospel at our place of work, in our neighborhood, with our postal mail carrier, with the DMV people, with our housekeeper, God, with our friends, people at the club, Starbucks, L.A. Fitness. God, wherever we go, help people to see that we're living the gospel that we're here representing you in how we treat people with that spirit of love and grace, of a sincere heart, doing the will of God. Help us, Father, to be people like that. Challenge us in that way and affirm those who are already doing it, God. Affirm them. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.